This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. Yes, it's the April 1st edition of our program, but trust us, it's filled with the usual serious issues this week as we explore impeachment in Brazil and the after-effects of President Obama's trip to Argentina. And so, Natalie Ottinger has more about the political crisis in Brazil and the rest of our weekly review of news from around Latin America. Brazil's President Dilma Rousseff struggled again this week to keep her embattled government afloat. Seven members of her cabinet announced their intentions to resign, including the country's sports minister, just months before the Summer Olympics open in Rio. Brazil's Congress is debating whether Rousseff should be impeached. She is accused of hiding government spending from Congress, but her government's problems are also tied to the unfolding Petrobras corruption scandal. Rousseff denounced the move against her in Congress during a public speech. What type of process is this, I ask you? It's a process that looks like a coup d'etat. Rousseff is also wrangling with Brazil's Supreme Federal Court. The court has temporarily blocked her appointment of the former president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, as her chief of staff. Such an appointment could block prosecution of former President Lula on corruption charges. We'll have more on the government crisis in Brazil later on this program. Electoral officials in Peru say the top two candidates in that country's presidential race can stay on the ballot. Frontrunner Keiko Fujimori faced charges of vote buying as cameras caught her handing out envelopes stuffed with money at one of her campaign rallies. Fujimori is the daughter of former dictator Alberto Fujimori, who ruled Peru in the 1990s. Pedro Pablo Zuzinski, the country's former prime minister, who is running second to Fujimori in the polls, will also be allowed to stay in the race. Electoral officials cleared Zuzinski of charges that he was distributing free beer at rallies, also another illegal method that could influence voters. We will have more on the presidential race in Peru next week on this program. Argentina may be on its way to ending its long-running debt crisis. The Argentine Senate voted this week to approve billions of dollars in payments to hedge funds based in the U.S. Those funds held bonds that the Argentines refused to pay in full when the country had its initial bankruptcy crisis 15 years ago. The country's new president, Mauricio Macri, has pushed for an end to the country's holdout against the U.S. bondholders. Macri has pledged to clear up Argentina's debts from its two defaults this century. So far, his government has agreed to pay out more than $22 billion in debt payments to investors in the U.S. and Europe. We'll have more about the meeting between Presidents Obama and Macri later on this program. The Rolling Stones capped a historic week in Cuba by playing their first concert there ever. The Stones played a free concert to a large crowd, but reports varied on the crowd's size. The Stones said they played to an audience of 1.2 million. The BBC puts the estimate closer to a half a million, and CNN estimated the crowd size at 100,000. Cuba's government had officially banned the group's music until about 13 years ago. The Cuban government turned off all cell phone services on the island during the concert. 
When other musical groups have staged large concerts in Havana, U.S. officials have used the occasion to send text messages to Cuban cell phone users, text messages containing propaganda. For Latin Pulse, I'm Natalie Ottinger. Thanks, Natalie. Our shout-out this week goes to our listeners in France. Our listening group in France was our third largest this past month, behind only our listeners in the U.S. and Mexico. So we say merci beaucoup to all of our listeners in France and elsewhere around the globe. And now we return our attention to the government crisis in Brazil. As we heard earlier, members of the Brazilian Democratic Movement, a party called the PMDB, decided to leave President Dilma Rousseff's government coalition. Importantly, though, Vice President Michel Temer, a member of the PMDB, remains in office, and he may be called to step in as president if Rousseff's enemies manage to remove her from office. Rousseff's key opponent is Eduardo Cunha, the president of Brazil's Chamber of Deputies, who faces corruption charges. And, as we also heard earlier, former President Luis Inácio Lula da Silva, commonly just called Lula, is now also implicated in the growing corruption scandal tied to construction firms and the state oil company Petrobras. We turn again to Matthew Taylor at American University to help us untangle the complications of the Brazilian crisis. Taylor is the co-editor of Corruption and Democracy in Brazil, The Search for Accountability. He joined us via Skype from Washington, D.C. It's been just an incredible month, uh, March of 2016. Um, And what we've seen throughout the month is the parallel evolution of four different processes. Um, The first, which you've already referred to, is uh, Judge Sergio Moro's uh, investigation of the Lava Jato uh, case. That's the corruption within the Petrobras um, oil company. Uh, In addition... Uh, the accusations against the president of the lower house, Eduardo Cunha, uh, and the probability that he will be um, expelled by his peers uh, for ethics violations or forced to resign as president of the of the lower house. Um, also, uh, the ongoing hearings within the Supreme Federal Tribunal, Brazil's high court, about politicians who are caught up in the Lava Jato case. And then finally, fourth, uh, the drama surrounding the potential impeachment of President Rousseff. Let's start, if we could, right there with the potential impeachment of of President Rousseff. At at some time earlier this year, it looked as if she was going to um, champion her own cause, uh, fight off her critics in in the Brazilian Congress. It looked like... um, uh, as you had told us before on this program, uh, she and Eduardo Cunha were playing this this very fantastic game of chicken, but it looked like she had actually won. But but now it seems that, that she, too, is going to be pilloried through this process. Right. And and two two very important things changed this month. month. Um, the first is that um, President Lula, former President Lula, was detained for questioning on March 4th. Um, and when that investigation um, of President Lula was sent to Curitiba, where Judge Sergio Moro is running the Lava Jato case, um, Lula and apparently President Rousseff uh, began to look for a way for him to attain special standing uh, that would enable him to uh, conduct his legal defense in the high court. 
And so they came up with a plan whereby Lula would become chief of staff for, for President Rousseff. Uh, as chief of staff, he would have ministerial standing, which would mean that uh, it would be very difficult for, um, well, he would have special standing in the court, which would allow his trial uh, to go forward in the STF, in the high court. The, the second major change this month um, were the public protests that took place on March 13th. Uh, more than three million Brazilians uh, came out in the largest anti-government protests of the democratic period that began in 1985. Uh, these were larger than uh, any of the previous protests during the Rousseff government. Uh, and they demonstrated that uh, the public is in no mood uh, to put up with uh, corruption in the political class. Um, the, the, the calculus, though, that uh, Rousseff and Lula seem to have been following um, was that special standing was better than the public uh, reaction against uh, Lula's nomination. And in fact, the public was, um, you know, widely... Uh, and wildly opposed to the perception that Lula was taking up this cabinet position largely to obstruct justice, that is, to avoid prosecution uh, in Curitiba. Whether or not that's the case, there's been a lengthy debate, but the fact of the matter is this swung public opinion uh, very quickly against the Rousseff government. And um, the high court, the STF, has decided that Lula... Uh, cannot take up the position until they um, they hear um, uh, motions against uh, his his appointment, and so this is now in a kind of judicial limbo. Lula is not chief of staff, but Rousseff has taken uh, quite a political hit uh, as a result of the attempted nomination. Now, when you reference the STF, you're referencing. Brazil's highest court, their Supreme Court, yes? Yes, the Supreme Federal Tribunal. And, and so this is, this is a, in, in some ways, a, a bit of a, of a constitutional crisis, a bit of a presidential crisis. We have the two f um, most powerful people in, in Brazil, one would argue, um, Lula and, and President Rousseff, who are being held to account uh, not just uh, in the highest court, in Brazil, but also, uh, as you mentioned, by the public and, and these protests. And, and isn't there a bit of um, um, incredible nature to how this has unfolded in that um, at one time, um, President Lula was perhaps the most popular politician, not just in Brazil, but in all of Latin America. Uh, polling showed this. Um, somebody who was a, uh, as a self-made man who was elected multiple times to the to the top post and and his party, the Workers' Party, was talking about bringing him back after President Rousseff's uh, current term as, as somebody who would run yet again. Uh, don't all those plans seem to be in ashes now? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the, the Lula of 2010, uh, when Dilma um, was inaugurated for her first term, that wildly popular Lula has been um, slowly uh, and probably um, irreversibly tarred by the revelations of corruption within Petrobras, uh, as well as... Um, relatively small, but nonetheless uh, important signs that he may have abused 
um, his powers as president, whether it was a a sort of lobbying on behalf of Brazilian firms, which is uh, illegal uh, under Brazilian law, or uh, even earning um, some ill-got gains. Nothing humongous in the grand scope of things, given the size of the the Petrobras scandal, which is in the billions of dollars, but um, that he may have uh, benefited from uh, sweetheart deals in a beachfront apartment and uh, a countryside home. Uh, So I think that that you're absolutely right. Lula has been um, scarred by this. His uh, polls do not look um, very favorable at this point. All other plausible candidates uh, in recent polling outpoll him in a hypothetical 2018 uh, election. But, um, you know, Lula uh, is, is a comeback candidate. He has, uh, he is very tenacious. He is able to mobilize the left and, um, he still, uh, you know, is, is a formidable, uh, challenger. I I do want to go back to something else you said though, and that is you suggested that there is both a political and potentially a constitutional crisis here. And I agree with the first point. We are definitely in the midst of a political crisis, um, an economic crisis and, uh, the corruption scandal. But so far, it is not a constitutional crisis. And so even though um, the, the, the leading agents in Brazilian democracy, whether it's the president, the former president, the uh, leader of the lower house, the leader of the Senate, all of those pol- politicians are in trouble. Um, but but there, has, there is no sign as yet of an institutional breakdown that I think we could characterize as, as a constitutional crisis. Uh, what we've really been talking about here uh, in all three instances is, is accusations of abuse of power. But in the case of Cunha, there's, there's much more of a tie directly to um, this Petrobras scandal. Um, and, and we're talking about millions of dollars that may have passed through his hands. If you're looking for exciting reading, the um, prosecution's case against Cunha, which was put forward by the, the chief prosecutor, the chief federal prosecutor, um, Jeannot, uh, is really compelling reading and, and quite frightening reading uh, about the extent of corruption or alleged corrupt, corruption by Cunha. Uh, he was apparently responsible for um, many of the ship purchases that were made by Petrobras, and essentially uh, many of these, the, the allegation at least, is that many of these ship purchases of large um, petroleum uh, ships for the, the offshore oil fields that Petrobras discovered earlier in the century, many of these ships were purchased not really on the basis of any kind of business rationale, but largely because of their potential as sources of bribes and kickbacks. And so um, if you're looking for something to keep you up at night, this is good reading. Uh, the, the accusations, the allegations are, are very, very uh, well-founded in, in what looks like a pretty incontrovertible evidence. Um, but every allegation that's been put up against um, uh, Cunha has been, he, he's found some uh, legitimate sounding explanation. Uh, so he was accused, the, the main reason he's being threatened with expulsion is that he was 
uh, alleged to have offshore accounts. Uh, when he was uh, questioned before a congressional committee, his response was that he had absolutely no offshore accounts. And when evidence that there were offshore accounts in his name uh, emerged, his response was, those aren't offshore accounts, those are trusts. And so he's a very able uh, politician. He's, he's very quick with his words, and um, it's been very hard to pin him down. But um, the prosecutor general uh, has, has filed uh, a report that I think uh, spells the end for him, uh, certainly as, a, as the president of the chamber. But again, the big issue here is not when he'll be um, forced to resign as president or expelled from the House, but really, will it happen before he can wreak havoc on the Rousseff administration? What haven't we covered that you think is important for us to consider? Well, I think that the, the other thing we should be thinking about as we're thinking about impeachment um, is that uh, if the chamber approves impeachment, uh, Rousseff will be asked to step down. Uh, she'll be suspended as president for 180 days. And at that point, the PMDB, under Vice President Michel Temer, a member of the PMDB, will be in control. Uh, and the PMDB today voted as a party to withdraw from the Rousseff administration. All seven of its ministers will resign. And um, this is a, a, a major, major break uh, that may be followed by other parties. There are already other parties who are beginning to talk about uh, their willingness to, to step down as well from the, the governing coalition. The, the second thing that I think is very important to note that's happened since we last spoke is that um, evidence emerged of payments by the Odebrecht construction firm to more than 200 federal politicians. And um, this really throws a lot of sand in the gears uh, of of the process, uh, of all of the four processes that I, I discussed, um, it, it is, you know, if true, uh, the, the allegations that more than 200 federal politicians received bribes from Odebrecht, one major construction firm, but only one of the, the five major firms that are implicated in the Petrobras scandal, uh, I think that this is very significant um, across the board. Thank you so much for keeping us on track with this unfolding investigation. Matthew Taylor of American University, the co-editor of the book, Corruption and Democracy in Brazil, The Struggle for Accountability, joining us on Latin Pulse via Skype from Washington, D.C. Thank you so much, Matthew Taylor. Thank you. We also send thanks to our listeners who sent us email and messages on Twitter to urge us to include more coverage of the crisis in Brazil. We changed our coverage plans because of those notes, so thanks for steering us in the right direction. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Coming up, explaining the importance of President Obama's trip to Argentina. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. 
and domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn, indignate, act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Last week, about this time, President Obama was in Buenos Aires making headlines, but due to the historic nature of the president's trip to Cuba, we decided to devote our entire program to coverage of that part of his Latin American tour. This week, we make amends and analyze his important trip to Argentina to visit with President Mauricio Macri. We asked Chris Sabatini of Columbia University for his analysis. Sabatini is the editor of the website Latin America Goes Global. He joined us via Skype from New York City. Well, let's first put it in a little bit of context, uh, historically in terms of U.S. policy. The last time a U.S. president went to Argentina was George Bush I, um, and that was during the Carlos Menem years, when Argentina was seen as being the sort of baby uh, and darling of the Washington consensus, um, had cool, basically ended hyperinflation, brought back economic growth, privatized everything from the oil company and airlines to literally the zoos. And, uh, and then what happened in between was, was you know, an economic disaster, uh, really a, a dramatic uh, collapse of the economy that led to 25% unemployment um, and, of course, a loss of savings because of delinking the peso to the dollar, in part because by this time George Bush II refused any sort of emergency package that could bail out uh, Argentina. So, you know, and, and what happened afterwards was were two administrations, or three administrations actually, by the Kirchners, uh, which were very anti-American in their orientation, and perhaps understandably so, given the fact that um, the son of the guy who visited the country and praised the president um, refused to bail out the government when it most needed it, the economy when it most needed it. So this was sort of a return. Um, and I think that part is that part is often left out. Is, is there is still a lot of resentment in Argentina towards uh, the gringos for what it did uh, in 2001 or what it didn't do in 2001, I guess. And Obama's going down. Most of the attention is focused on and go, traveling to Argentina. This is going down it, with to greet and welcome and, and, and in some ways embrace a new center-right government after the Kirchner years in which, as I mentioned, they were so anti-American. But again, you know, this in the context of past American visit, of the past American visit, a lot has transpired and there's also that sort of stigma of uh, U.S. abandoning Argentina when it most needed. Let's talk about that issue of resentment because that certainly um, came through if you, if you look closely at what was going on. There was a, a push toward Human rights. Human rights was part of the Cuba trip too, but human rights being the the idea of of recognizing those who were lost during the dirty war, recognizing thirty thousand lives and 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 more. This this period of um, the military regime in Argentina, but the Argentines themselves seem to say Obama was misplaced in coming during the the anniversary of of that sad time. Yeah, and I, I've spoken to a number of my Argentinian friends about this. And they will, um, you know, even ones that are very pro-American, even one that teaches at Columbia University will say it, the timing just wasn't right. It was the 40th anniversary. The U.S. is implicated in an indirect way and in at least giving a wink and a nod to uh, the coup and uh, the intervention, not to the extent of the U.S. implication in other coups and other places, to be perfectly frank, and even Argentines will admit that. But... The um, you know the timing was bad. It, it sort of looked in many ways like the U.S. president sort of just tacked it on at the end of the Cuba trip, 
without any regard for the 40th anniversary of the coup and, and the real the, the real start of the dirty war. Although elements of the dirty war had actually started under Isabel Perón, and of course Obama tried to make amends for that by visiting the um, memorial to the the um, to the dead killed during the dirty war, throwing flowers into the Rio de la Plata. Uh, and also uh, releasing documents, or promising to release documents, rather, that would sort of clear up any U.S. complicity in that whole um, dirty and ugly series of events. But it, it did just look callous, and I think in part what also made it look callous was <laughs> this came at the end of a trip to Cuba. It was not the main focus. It didn't get the most attention, and they just looked inflexible. And, oh, we'll just go to another Latin American country and tack it on at the end. And I think that, that really rankled. The Argentines, which are, are are very very proud people, and, and don't like to be the postscript to to anyone in Latin America. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Even when they consider themselves part of Latin America, which is a different issue. Well, well, let let's continue on this issue because the these documents that the president that President Obama promised would be released. I, I really wonder about these if they do not show some sort of complicity um, that the U.S. had. Um, it, beyond maybe a wink and a nod, maybe um, um, CIA or, or Defense Department uh, connections, then why keep them secret for all these decades? Uh, you know, that's a good question. And, and I think, you know, obviously we'll find out if there's more there than, we, than I assume. I I've personally, you know, have, did my dissertation research in Argentina, studied, have never, other than, you know, the, as I mentioned, the wink and the nod, the comment by Henry Kissinger, which is already public, to Valdetti, the then uh, general foreign minister, saying, you know, if you have to get something done, do it quickly, uh, which is deeply offensive, don't get me wrong, I'm not minimizing that. Of course, the U.S. continued to sell arms to the military government during that time, which is troubling. Those were stopped under Jimmy Carter. Uh, maybe we'll find out something else, but I think, you know, I think the main reason for keep the, keeping them secret is um, just the, the level of communication that was occurring and perhaps the U.S. knowledge of what was going on and its refusal to, to stop it. And that indeed today, and this is actually, I would say, to spin it in a positive way, is evidence of how far we've come. That even the mere fact that the U.S. was aware of the bloodshed, was aware of the repression, and didn't speak, and it was reporting on it in secret cables and didn't speak out against it, is very damning. Now, in the 70s, that wouldn't have been so. It's kind of funny. I mean, everyone sort of, unfortunately, many people accepted the fact that, you know, things had to get done. So I, I would hope that U.S. complicity ends there, but even there, there's no excuses, and, and, and I think there's a positive clearing of the air. But I would expect legitimate indignation, if, if, even if it was just a question of sort of not, not pushing back on the very bloody times. Let me ask, because we've been uh, approaching this second part of Obama's trip to Latin America, the Argentine uh, part of the trip, um, from a U.S. point of view. But, but let me ask about it from, from the view from Buenos Aires. What, what, what did President Mauricio Macri get from this trip? Um, if there was so much resentment toward President Obama, did Macri get something from this? It's a good question. And I've wondered if, indeed, this was um, wise on his part. First of all, I would say Argentines have a very bipolar relationship with the United States. And we saw this in, in the many years, as I talked about, where even the fo then foreign minister said he wanted to have carnal relations with the United States. Um, and then it flipped and it became, you know, the, the, the Kirchner administration became very anti-American. And, and when you travel to Argentina, 
you know, just, it, it has the highest levels, according to surveys, highest levels of anti-Americanism of anywhere in Latin America. But even in that case, you, you find actually a lot of fascination um, with uh, the United States. Um, Argentines are very friendly. You really, I found you know, places in Europe that are far more anti-American uh, than Argentina. So, you know, I, I think Makati wanted to sort of bask in the glow of, of the president. And, and, and the president, despite what people may think of America, the, the, President Obama still is a rock star. I mean, he really had, commands a lot of popular uh, attention and praise uh, internationally. And so I think he's hoping to bask a little in that. Thanks so much, Chris Sabatini of Columbia University, the editor of the website Latin America Goes Global, our guest again today on Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rick. It's great. You can read more from Chris Sabatini at the website Latin America Goes Global, and you can get weekly episodes of our program there, too. You can find that website at Latin America Goes Global, written as all one word, dot O-R-G. Thanks for joining us for Latin Pulse this week. If you're looking for earlier editions of our program, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Henty Flow. And as always, you can find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website. You can find it at linktv, all one word, dot org, and then slash Latin dash pulse. That's linktv.org slash Latin dash pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team, associate producer Natalie Oniger and technical director Jim Singer. I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchenos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2016 Las Rocas Productions. Music